0: But earlier this week, I was, I was in a, I go in seasons on occasion of wrestling with the Lord, and he usually always wins. And one earlier earlier this week, uh, maybe Monday or Tuesday this week, I was just up wrestling with God. I wasn't restless, but I was wrestling. So I had peace because I knew it was Him. And the Lord, I just sensed the Lord whisper, for the rest of August, I want you to look at the first commandment. And each week, I want you to unpack one of the dynamics. What does it mean to love me with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? And I'm up wrestling, so I'm like, that sounds good. So I grabbed my phone, and I started writing some introductory notes. And so here it is, the first Sunday in August. We're about to send our kids back to school, our grandkids back to school. Can I get an amen from anybody out there? (laughs) let that sink in. And uh, so we're just going to just dive right in to this all-important passage. You can study theology your whole life. You can memorize piles of books, attend thousands of seminars, seminaries, and sessions, and you will still discover that the centrality of what it means to be a person who is found in the love of God, who's being formed in the image of Christ through the power of the Spirit, that at the end of every one of those discoveries, you'll find the centrality of this command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the bummer about this verse is that we're so familiar, I think we've lost, we can lose sight of its all-encompassing, earth-shattering truth should we submit to it? Should we find the Holy Spirit inviting us into a journey of integration, of living all of life in light of the love of God? Amen. And before I go, I do this too often. I'm trying to become better at like 50 things at once, so give me a break. But can we also just pray? I want to just pray for those that, who, in light of the two tragic shootings in the last 24 hours. I don't want to be trivial or trite, but can you just bow your heart and head with me? Can we just release comfort? If you don't know, there's been two mass shootings in the country in Dayton and in El Paso. And so, Lord, as a local church, we just acknowledge that we're in a world that is broken and in a culture that is so fractured. And so we just cry out right now for comfort in our land. We cry out for comfort and peace over families that have been affected by these horrific, um, terrible situations. And Lord, this little church called Cornerstone, pray to a big God and Father and ask that you would just release your grace and your peace over those affected. God, I pray that you would just, just reawaken us to the fragility of life, how fragile and how precious it really is. I pray that we would increase in our value of life. So just release grace, even over those in this room who are processing and who can easily move into a place of fear and anxiety. I pray your grace and your peace over our body and over these people and their families who've been affected. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen. So if you have your Bibles with me, um, open up to Mark chapter 12. It's the second book in your New Testament. Mark is one of the Gospels that we, that most scholars believe was probably the first gospel account that was written and circulated in the first century at the time of Jesus. Mark chapter 12, and we are going to be living just like we lived in the yoked with Jesus passage for a number of weeks, we're going to be living in this passage over the next at least four weeks. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 28. And before I jump into that, I just want to set the context and maybe just give you an invitation right at the beginning of this message. Why don't we we live in the gospel of Mark this week? You know why it's one of everyone's favorite gospel? Because it's only 16 chapters. (laughs) And if you read from start to finish like it's a novel, you can knock it out in an hour and 25 minutes. So do it this week. Maybe read it. Pick a few chapters a day or read it in one sitting. Sometimes it's really fun to read an entire gospel in one sitting just to get immersed in the story. So before we dive into the first commandment passage, I just want to give us a a little bit of context to hopefully help it pop off the page. The context is this, Mark is notorious for the the, the sprint, knee-jerk, whiplash pace of his gospel. In fact, I just did a quick search on my Bible app before standing up here. Mark uses the word immediately 27 times in his gospel. Jesus healed, and then immediately went to this town, and then immediately he went, he healed. Immediately, he went over here. Storm was quieted. Immediately, 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 and Mark is just, he's so excited. I can just see him. I feel like if I was a gospel writer, I would probably identify with Mark because he's so excited to just get the story of Jesus out there, but when it gets to the end, the Passion Week where Jesus' ministry slows down, he devotes at least a quarter of his gospel to one week. So even though the journey to Mark 12 has been immediately, 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 here Mark slows his role. And in Mark chapter 12, the context is this Jesus finds himself at the hotbed, the center of the, the political, the religious, the national identity of the people of Israel. He's in Jerusalem, the temple. And all of his opponents, the religious leaders, those who are married to power, those who didn't have a place in their theology for this ragtag dude and his followers from Nazareth, they start barraging Jesus with all of the hot topic issues of his day. We can't relate to that at all in our cultural moment. Hot topic issues. And they start asking Jesus questions about Israel's relationship with Rome about taxes, about marriage, about his interpretation of the law, about what he believes about the power of God, or the future hope of Israel. Really lightweight topics, if you ask me. And they're trying to trap him, to catch him in his words. And at every time when he's questioned and scrutinized and at the attempt of sabotaging his life and his credibility in ministry, Jesus offers a perspective that causes the crowds to say, wow, you can't trap him." At every turn and every, think of all the hot topic issues of our day, that's what it would have been like in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is just getting nailed. That any way he answers, he's gonna create enemies and friends. And the enemies he creates have authority because they're married to power to dictate the trajectory, so they thought of his life or his death. And so Jesus is answering these people brilliant answers. They're shocked, they're stunned, they're dumbfounded, they're silenced. But then one of the experts in the law, overhears Jesus' answer, and he's amazed at the way he's able to delicately and powerfully weave his way through the traps of his audience. And so one guy, an expert in the law, from the crowd says, one of the scribes came near in Mark 12, 28. I'll just read this passage. And they heard disputing with one another. Seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, (laughs) teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices being made in the temple right now. When Jesus saw that he, the scribe, answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any question. It's the modern-day equivalent of "mic drop." <laughs> you have to understand this is Jesus' moment, to distinguish himself, to... you know, there were famous rabbis in the time and around the time of Jesus who would give similar uh, would be asked these questions, and the, the answer they would give would, could mark all of their followers, and here's Jesus out of all the 613 laws, neatly divided against heavy laws and light laws, negative laws and positive laws, all these laws and rules that he could have picked, and Jesus picks the central confession of his own people. Which one would he say? Jesus borrows unapologetically from the central prayer and confession of his Jewish people, the Shema, which means hear or listen. Jesus borrows from Deuteronomy chapter 6 this prayer that a faithful Jew would pray every single morning and every single evening. They would write it on their walls and they would hang as... uh, as a part of their garments to remind themselves of who they are and who their God was. And what's so beautiful about Jesus is contrary to his opponents, Jesus didn't come to set up another system. He came to fulfill the longings and the hope of the covenant of Israel. He hooks himself right in to the storyline. He is the fulfiller and the bringer and the bearer of God's intended purposes for Israel and by extension for the world. Don't think I came to abolish the law of the prophets, Jesus said, I came to fulfill them. And so he jumps right into the Shema passage in Deuteronomy 6. And I'm just gonna read that. It's awesome. It's, this, this is an introductory sermon. Remember, we're going to unpack it for like four, four weeks at least. Here's the prayer that they prayed. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only f- five verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart recite them to your children talk about them when you're at home and when you are away when you lie down and when you rise bind them as a sign on your hand fix them as an emblem on your forehead write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates when asked what's the most important jesus jumps to this central prayer this creed and confession of his people And you have to remember the context that the Shema is born out of. At this time, God's people, Israel, were enslaved in Egypt who worshipped and bowed at innumerable gods and deities. God rescues a people through his mighty arm and stretched out hand. And he woos him to himself and leads them to the wilderness at the foot of the mountain where he weds himself to a people. And he releases the the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and all of their implications for life oriented around the one God, Yahweh. And I want you to know that the people of Israel, apart from their dietary laws and their their, their cultic ceremonies and the, the, the sacrificial system, the number one distinguishing mark of the people of God was that they were monotheists. They believe in one God who is over all gods. You have to understand, in ancient Near Eastern thought, people and nations in and around Israel, they lived in constant fear on, did we appease the right God at the right time so that what we really need to survive and flourish will come? There was a water God, a river God, a sun God, a forest God, a fertility God, a God of war, a God of rain. And the fear of a polytheistic, pluralistic culture is, you know, can you imagine this exchange between a husband and wife? Babe, where's the food? And the husband's like, oh, crud, I forgot to sacrifice to the grain god, the god of the field. And in the midst of this pluralistic, polytheistic culture, we think we're so advanced, but we are in a pluralistic, polytheistic culture. They just have isms at the end of them consumerism, individual, immaterial. There's as many gods today as there was in ancient Israel. Gods. And the good news of monotheism then is still the good news of monotheism now. We don't have to live in fear. Did I pinch incense to this, to this principality, this power? There is one God who reigns over all and who wants to infuse all of it with his purposes. In fact, I've had to preach the, 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 the plague passage and. In, in Exodus, when God sends all the 10 plagues, and if you, some way smarter people than me, they're able to show how every single plague is Yahweh judging one of the Egyptian deities to confront him. And it's like Yahweh's like, Bleh. there is one God. The good news that Jesus is reaffirming to his onlookers is that there is one God. There's not many gods to appease or please. There is one God, the Lord. He reigns over every other God, over every competing ideology and idol. And by orienting your life, submitting your life to his lordship, his reign and his rule, you don't have to live one more day in fear. You can trust the one God. And I love that he says he starts this great answer, and the the, the word the shema means here or listen. I love that the central command of Judaism and really Jesus then reinforces it's it's our central command and creed is here, which is to say all of the life that God intends you to experience into me is via relationship. Here, listen. You know what that implies? God's a communicator, and he's given you the capacity by his grace to discern what he's saying so you can live in light of who he is and what he's doing. This isn't just to hear and then go, oh, nice opinion, God, and then to live as you want. A better way to think of here is the word heed. Everyone say Heed. I like this word. We should probably bring it back because it means to hear and do, to hear and obey. And really, my theology as your pastor, all of what we do at the end of the day is to train and encourage people to live a hear and obey lifestyle. Hear and then obey. Hear and then obey. I loved Moses at the end of his life, the one who, who, who penned these words and was so instrumental in Israel's story in the Exodus and setting them up to inherit the promised land through his protege Joshua. About the words of God, Moses says this in Deuteronomy 32. Take to heart all of the words I have declared to you this day so that you may command your children to carefully obey the words of the law They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So when Jesus reaffirms, when he's asked, what's the greatest, what's the most important command? He unapologetically says, hear, O Israel, hear the God who speaks Hear the God who, when he commands, it's an invitation to participation in his goodness and his character and his ways. His commands reveal his intention. His commands are aimed not generally to all, but to the people that bear his name. The goal of the commands, I wrote this, I like this one-liner. The goal of his commands are to cultivate continuity, Say that with me. Cultivate, shape, continuity between himself and the people who bear his name. The commands. So what he looks like, we look like. Commands. What he looks like, we look like. Jesus, over and over through his gospel, if you've seen me, you've seen Continuity, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and the God of Israel has now, through Jesus, invited all of the nations into that covenant relationship with the one God. And the highest aim is for you and I to increasingly resemble the one whose name we bear. That's our highest aim, highest aim. So monotheism. There you go. You got a quick little... There's this book that's called The Best Kept Secret of Mission by John Dickinson. Phenomenal author. He says monotheism is the primary motivation for mission. If there is one God, then the nations have to know that their worship is futile and detrimental until they meet the one God revealed in Jesus. He says that one point, theologically, drives... Right? Right? Because the gods of the nations are idols, Psalm 96. But the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And beloved, we are at a time much like Elijah's time in 1 Kings 18 and 19, and this amazing story where, where the people of God, even the people in the church, in our context, we are we're being forced to wrestle in this cultural moment with the validity of the claims of our God. Do we believe He is God or not? We're being pulled and pressured to to look at our opinions, to re-examine the engine of our hearts and our souls. And I'm here to tell you, like Elijah in his desperate moment in his prophetic ministry, if the Lord is God, then serve him. And if he's not, then don't. But quit living in that middle space. If he's God, then treat him like it. Give him your whole life. A little bit of religion makes you a lot a bit miserable. <sighs> Come on, I'm talking to myself. That's the most mis. A little bit of God is the worst thing ever. I mean, he already gave you a little bit. It's called general grace. You're breathing, he gives you food, you but when you have revelation that there is one God and he's summoning you to give, you full, give him full allegiance and you resist that call, that's a miserable space. Am I talking to anyone besides myself? And so Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. I just want to zero in on heart. Don't even let me talk about soul, mind, or strength because those are the next three or four weeks. Everyone say heart. Zero in on the heart, which is my lifelong message anyway. So it's perfect. Love from the heart. What are some common conditions, if you read the Bible, that we see conditions of the heart? Yell at me. Wicked, angry, greed, dead, fear, hard, rebellious, Loneliness. I think I can make a scripture argument for all the things you're yelling, so we're in, we're in bounds here. The point is, Jesus knows at the very beginning of this command, the complexity of the human heart. How many know as humans, we live from the heart out? We live from the heart out. Jesus knows the condition of our heart. In fact, the Bible says that no person can even really faithfully discern what's going on on the inside. There's only one person on the planet who can faithfully and perfectly diagnose a human heart and his name is God the heart is deceitful it says in Jeremiah 17 above all things who can understand it but I the Lord test the mind and I search the heart to give all according to their ways and according to the fruit of their own doing. The Lord sees our hearts, that center, central command of our being in existence. And God knows that, we, that humanity, apart from His redemptive touch and love, the human condition is woefully inadequate to bump its way onto loving God with all of our heart. God knows thus sending Jesus that there is no way that we can progress. Or diagnose, or invent, or cleverly come up with a way to b- break ourselves out of the condition that keeps us bound to habits we don't wanna keep doing, to choices we don't wanna keep making. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows the impossibility to turn the ship around in our own strength. Jesus said this in Mark 7 it's out of the heart. All evil, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride and folly all of these evils come from within, and they are what defile a person. So when I hear Jesus say, "The Lord our God is one, Love me with all your heart, I think, "Do? How? I'm a mess. How? Jesus says, I know, I know. Fundamentally, I would argue, I could hang this whole message on the argument. The reason Jesus came was so that all that we described about the human heart could be turned, and you and I can actually want to want God. (laughs) I love that truth. Jesus said that, the, 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 I remember my Old Testament professor, it was a book of Jeremiah class. And, you know, he's, you listen to the professors most of the time. And he said, the most important passage in the whole Old Testament is Jeremiah 31. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I actually think I believe him. But listen to this in Jeremiah 31, 31. That's easy to remember. 31, 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I brought them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Fundamentally, the reason Jesus came was to provide the solution, the remedy to the sin-sick, me-centered heart that humans can never shake apart from great effort and polishing up and trying to hide. Who you are always comes out. Can I get an amen? Amen. Who you are always comes out. Jesus knows that. And so fundamental to his ministry is so that you and I can actually, by his grace, become wholehearted lovers of God. We live from the heart out. We live out of our cravings and out of our desires. And Jesus says, all those things that you desire apart from me end in your death, but I've come to change you at the place of desire. I didn't came to polish up your already decent existence. I came to scoop out your dead, stony heart and to give you a heart of flesh. I came to, to take that rebel heart and from that, that me focused and the kingdom of self that is impenetrable. And through my love and grace, I'm able to find a way and to cut you through my word and truth. But then to heal you by my mercy and my grace. To give you a new heart. I will remove from your body the heart of stone. Ezekiel 36. My favorite Bible verse since I was 16. I will remove your heart of stone and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take it out and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my commandments and ordinances. Beloved, the, the great commandment, the first commandment, is only possible if you receive a new heart first. You won't make progress. In fact, one of our great uh, spiritual fathers of our movement, John Wesley, he was the most devout, devout. Disciplined, He learned like Greek, Latin, 15 languages. He rode 4,000 miles. He was a missionary. He was doing God's work without knowing God personally through faith. Relationship. And finally, he came to the awareness that his heart was the issue. And he was melted when he found out that it was through grace alone that his rebellious heart, that no discipline could shift or change, that when he met the grace of Jesus, everything changed for his life. And so Jesus, he's always working on multiple levels. Love me with everything. But you're going to need me to fulfill that commandment. You're going to need what I'm going to go do on the cross of Calvary. You're going to need my blood to wash your sin. You're going to need my spirit to scoop out your rebellious heart. You're going to need me to write my word, not on the parchments of stone, but on the parchment of your heart and your mind. You're going to need me. Love me with all of your heart. Amen. The heart is more than the blood pumping station in your body. It's the command center, where decisions are made, plans are. It's the center of your inner being. It controls feelings, emotions, and desires. The heart is where your commitments take root. And Jesus says, "Yep," yeah, at the deepest part of who you are. I want the love of God dynamically forming and fashioning and filling you to become my people who live under the one God. At your heart level. The only one who can do that is the only one who never had rebellion in his heart towards the Father. Oh, I love the gospel. And I want you to know that the beauty of the gospel is that The love of God revealed in Jesus enables you to love God back. The beauty of the gospel was that God didn't stay in his white, shiny palace, but he came in his son, Jesus, to show us the way to love, to show us the way to forgiveness and wholeness to show us how not to just be a little bit religious and a little bit selfish and then just try to bridge the gap between what I confess and how I live. Jesus models the perfectly integrated life and he says, follow me, we'll straighten out your mess. But the first thing we got to talk about is your heart. I loved you not when you were at your best, but when you were at your lowest. I loved you not when you were closest, but when you were the farthest away, when nothing but the grace of God could find and reach you. That's when I loved you. When not when we were friends, but when you were enemies. Not when you had all of your ducks in a row, but when you were like scattered all over the map. That's when I loved you. And friends, if you're here today and if you've not met that love, if it hasn't melted your rebellious heart, my highest prayer for you is that you would have a love encounter with the gospel of Jesus, that you would realize the first step towards living the life God desires is realizing you're the desire of God. The first step towards living the life God desires is learning that you are the desire of God. He loves you. He loves you in your sin. He loves me. When we can't make up from down, left from right, when we're so bent out of shape with resentment or hurt or lust or greed, God's love wants to come into that place and say, let me peel back the layers. Let my blood wash and clean you. Let's go on a journey. Let's go on a journey together. The lover being loved and returned is the essence of the gospel. The God who loves the world, transforming the human heart and life so that humanity loves him back is the heart of the gospel. And then out of that place, we love others, but we'll get there in a few weeks. Love. There's a story I'm closing. Praise God, I did it. Just heart, only heart, only heart. Only heart. We're doing really great. This story that just has wrecked me for so many years, it's, it's in Mark 10 and in Matthew 19. I'm pulling from the one in Matthew 19 to the same story. It's what I have in my notes. But so many of us want, we, 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 we want to know what the bare minimum requirements are. Am I talking to anyone out there? Like, hey, doc, what's the least amount of green vegetables I need to eat to turn my cholesterol around? What's the least amount I need to walk every week? Come on, somebody. Am I preaching the gospel today? (laughs) What? (laughs) Sorry. But what we find in God is he's not all that interested in bare minimum entrance requirements. He's always after wholeheartedness. He's always after I want the whole thing. He just has that in his mind. He's zealous and he's jealous in all the right ways. And so there's a story that I think perfectly illustrates the call to love God with all of our hearts and then the confrontation when other things in our lives take preeminence or predominance over God. There's a showdown. Come on, has anyone ever had a showdown with God? He'll bring you there. It's his mercy to bring you there. It's his grace to bring you to confrontation. Not because he's mean, because he's a God who honors your volition and will, and he wants your will to bow on your own choice through the infusion of his grace to, the, to be submitted to his will and lordship. And so he brings us to these points of conflict, not because he's a meanie. He just knows there's no other way to get you to where he destined and desires you to be, which is fully alive in his love. And so I love this story, and I hate it at the same time. Can I say that? Jesus has approached Matthew 19. This is the last story of our day. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He's already on shaky ground. What do I have to do? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Sound familiar to our passage in Mark 12? He said to Jesus, which ones? See, here's the thing. We wish that our problems, that our deepest cravings and desires and longings could be sorted out by just applying a few random principles. Doesn't work. Which ones is an indication that he doesn't know how serious his problem on the inside really is? Which ones, we wish that a little bit of religion, a little bit of just being nice and thinking happy thoughts, we wish that a little bit of generosity could solve our greed or our complacency with a little bit of anything is not as powerful as the full blast revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do in your life Jesus he says which ones okay you shall not murder check you shall not commit adultery verse 18 you shall not steal You shall not lie or bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you should love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus answered him. The young man said to him, I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? Have you ever found yourself there? I go to church. I try to do the right things, but there seems to be lack inside. Come on, don't raise your hand. Has anyone been there before? Doing a lot of stuff. There's a lack in here. I would say this is the the turning point of the story. When we realize that even doing good stuff from wrong motives isn't good enough. Doing stuff for God. You can still lack at the deepest part of your heart and life. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, don't get freaked out by the word It just means complete or whole. Or I like to say, with a lot of commentaries, the life God, and if you want to live the life God, the whole life God wants to give you, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And before all of you who have possessions and money freak out and say, oh my gosh. Don't go there. It's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the gospel confronts our number one idols. The the, the, the point is that the lack that we feel, do's and don'ts will never, never get us there. Because you will become like the God or the idol you worship. And so, if it's money or stuff, you'll never have enough. It's just, if it's your body, there's always another ab that can pop out of your 12 pack. If it's possessions, there's always going to be someone with a bigger car. If it's intellect, there's always going to be someone smarter. If it's popularity or fame, there's always going to be someone that has another follower. And so the gospel of Jesus, he, he ventures down the path of our confessed lack, and he says, this will always be the issue. Until my love and grace can conquer and slay that idol in your life, you'll never experience life as I designed it. And what's so interesting to now tie the passages together, Mark 12 and Matthew 19, Jesus jumps, he skips the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments. Those commandments that have to do with lordship and allegiance, appetites, the rhythms of life and Sabbath and rest. And he just goes right to the bottom six that deal with relationships. And so many of us need to know God, we can be busy. I can, But the primary relationship that sets the course for all of your other relationships and endeavors to flourish and thrive is that your heart is first ravished by the love of God revealed in Jesus first. Jesus skips the, have no other gods before me. Don't make it a God in my, don't take my name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. He goes right to the symptoms. Through the back door reveals the actual issue of this man's life, which is his heart, which is the idol. The man had money at the center. What's your center? What's the primary motivation in your life? No condemnation, because that's not the gospel. What's the center? Why do you live? Why do you breathe? You don't have to give some spiritual answer. It can actually be to love God and love people. That's what the gospel does. It changes us from the inside out. But today, the Lord lovingly confronts us because he knows it's impossible for you and I, through our own means and measures, to obey the great commandment that Jesus told the scribe. It's only possible by being escorted by God himself into wholehearted love. It's only possible when you, unlike the rich man who walked away sad, choosing the comfort and the predictability of his own idols and his own vision of what it means to be powerful and successful and live a life of meaning and consequence, he walks away sad. I'm telling you, so many of us lack to experience the life God wants to give us because we've not yet allowed that confrontation To lead us to wholehearted surrender. It's impossible to love God without being transformed by the love of God first. Plain and simple, it takes God to love God. The love of God this morning, God wants to conquer our hearts. Demolishing our idols and competing ideologies, and he wants to fill us with his love. This morning, he wants to do that. Yes, Will all my problems be fixed? I wish he was like that. How many know that if you spend a lifetime loving other things, it's going to take some time to get all of your other loves and cravings and desires straightened out? But hello, how many know the grace of God is our teacher? And he wants to purify us from all unrighteousness, Titus 2, 11 through 14. And then he wants to make us instruments of what is good and right and true. But does he have your heart? It's yielding. It's saying, Lord, that which is central in my life, I want it to be the Lord. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. It's saying, God, my heart is a mess, but I receive the power of the gospel to... St- transform me from the inside out. That's my message. Which one is it, God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. I don't know this this morning if you want to respond to the gospel. And you don't have to have a bunch of bible verses or feel but to know that God through his grace can give you a brand new heart this morning. If that at all resonates with you, if your heart's beating and your palms are sweaty unless you're clammy by nature. <laughs> will you respond to the gospel this morning? Will you say yes to the new covenant heart, that heart of flesh, the heart that's got the law of God written on it? <laughs> Let me stand together. God, I just thank you. I thank you that right now the grace of God is active. And I pray, Lord, that your grace would seize hearts in this place. In fact, if you, if you want to respond, I'd love to pray with you. I would honestly, I'd love to, to pray with you um, this morning. I'm just going to wait on him for just 20 seconds so you can count. Just ask what's center in my life? What is the thing that all of my choices and my fears or my failures, what is the thing that orbits around, my whole life orbits around? The Lord says today that I want it to be me and my love and my grace. If that connects with anyone, can you just slip up your hand? I want God to give me a new heart. It's awesome. So good. Beautiful. Lord, you see every single hand in this place. I'm asking, Father, that you would appropriate the grace of Christ into these hearts whose hands have been raised. I'm praying that you would do open-heart surgery here this morning. And that you would take out the stony heart. And right now you would stuff the spiritual cavity of their body with the new heart of love. It's why you came, Jesus. So that we could love God by experiencing his love firsthand through the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just deliver the love of God to every person in this room. Right now, just release the love of God. And just say, I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. And by faith, Lord. Say that with me. By faith, we receive a new heart. And by faith, we will live out of this new heart through your grace and by your truth and motivated and empowered by your love. Thank you, God. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen. 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 Yeah, that's good. I just want to give you this benediction and, and um, here's what you'll discover because I, I received my new heart at 16. I'm 35. That's a choice you'll have to make every day. Did you know that the onslaught of the enemy is perpetual? Shake your head at me. <laughs> to love other things, to crave, to, lo- you know, to long for, but how many know every single day, moment by moment, You and I can live in light of this beautiful covenant. And when we step out of line, we start going back to which one mentality, we realize, oh, he wants everything. And that's why we need each other. I need you to call me on the carpet. And you need me and not me. Metaphorically, we need each other. Because only those who love him to the end will make it. But thank God for the community of saints, his people, the ones who are learning to live out of who God says we are in Jesus. And I'm thankful heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to get at some tools on how to get there. Amen. But it starts with a new heart. (laughs) It starts with a new heart, man. So I'm going to give you this benediction. And if you, if you need healing in your body, in your marriage, your friendships, if you need breakthrough in your finances, we believe that the power of the gospel can change every situation. We, we serve a God who was dead but was raised, and he holds all power. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So after I give the benediction, the prayer team is going to be up here. Please make use of it. Oh, my goodness. Have someone look at you in the eye. And say, I'll stand with you, and I will partner with heaven so that the power of God can come to bear in your life. Make use of it. Brave the awkwardness. Amen. On the other side of awkward is awesome. And it doesn't have to be awkward. What if the most normal thing every time we gathered was, I can't wait to either be prayed for or to pray for someone what if we were so in tune with the love of God that even the Holy Spirit could lead us to those in love who needed to know God was for them? All right, I'm preaching another message right now, so here we go. I'm not, we'll save it. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, I added Father, but it's implied, and the communion of friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go today. May God mark you out as one who is loved by him, and may that love retool and transform every dynamic of your life for his glory and your ultimate good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Don't, don't, Don't be shy to come up and don't miss out on that Connect event meeting.